if you get the right people focused on a problem that you care enough about and you can evangelize and clarify what everybody's role is, that can magical things can happen. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I'm looking for here is the answer to the question, what is the connection between stress and creativity? How does stress play a role in the creative process and how does creativity play a role in how we experience stress? A lot of people have a lot of different answers to this question and I haven't really found one single answer to this question, which is why I'm so excited to do this podcast is because I have no conceptions, no preset expectations of what I'm gonna find. It's basically a discovery and I'm inviting you to join along on this exploration of what is the connection between creativity and stress. Today I interviewed Terence Yang, uh, principal of Yang Ventures. I've known Terence for a long time and we have great conversations about all sorts of stuff, uh, including cryptocurrencies, uh, starting companies, a whole bunch of different stuff. And he has a lot of valuable wisdom to share about stress that founders experience because he invests in founders a lot. So he gets a firsthand experience. And what I like about Terence as well is that he invests, but he also provides quite a bit of mentorship uh, and expertise. He really cares about the people that he invests in. Uh, so he has a lot of valuable wisdom because he cares so much. Um, I highly recommend you listen to this full podcast. A lot of valuable tips, uh, wisdom here. I uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks. So welcome to the podcast, Crazy Wisdom. Uh, my guest here is Terrence Yang. Uh, can you uh, start by introducing yourself, Terrence? Sure. Um, I am a native Californian and went to law school, then worked on Wall Street as a securities lawyer, um, securitizations and derivatives lawyer, and then moved to the business side. And I I had started a couple of, um, co-founded a couple of failed startups back in the dot-com era, a little older, and also did some angel investing and then took a break after the dot-com crash, like pretty much everybody else. Got back into it in 2012, mm -hmm. made zero investments the first year because everything changed. And in 2013, started making a couple investments a year. I'm a small angel, um, do a lot of mentoring, um, writing, and advising, and mm -hmm. yeah. And on the show, we talk a lot about creativity and creating things. And yeah. as an angel investor, it's really interesting because you're really focused on this kind of beginning stage of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also a very highly stressful time for a lot of people as well, right? For founders. <laughs> yes. How do you, what is the role of stress in these early stage startups? Um, and how do you kind of frame it or see it? in your Sure. Life? Yeah. So I'm a big believer in constraints. So just because you don't have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of traction, that can often be a good thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the sayings that people have in startups is founders tend to become extremely creative and productive when they have less than six months of runway left mm. because their backs are against the wall. They know they're about to run out of money soon. They don't know if they can raise the next round. They have to show some progress. Mm. So uh, I'm a big believer in constraints. And one of my friends, when my wife and I were living in LA, he was a big believer in milestone financing. Mm. And my, my other friends and I would joke that, of course, all investors would be for milestone financing. But the problem is, in this very pro-founder market, you mm. just have to give them a big slug of cash at a pretty high valuation based on 
the team and the concept and maybe a little bit of diligence, but not much traction. And then kind of hope for the best and hope that you can exercise your pro rata or just have some mm. uh, protections so you don't get diluted too much. Mm. Yeah. And then how do you deal with stress in your own personal life? Sure. So sometimes well and sometimes not well, to be honest. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, one thing that helps me is my wife and I live in a rental apartment that's um, you know a little bit pricier than, than average. And we happen to have a great gym downstairs. So even yesterday, right, I was being bad and I had a pastry that was just lying there, hungry. We, we need to go grocery shopping or do Amazon Fresh or something. But um, I ate that thing and I could kind of just feel the sugar uh. coursing through my veins and it's not a good feeling. Uh. And my wife and I had agreed to work out later that night, but I just went down to the gym and she gave me, um, you know, she asked me if I could pick up the mail so I did that but on my way to doing that I just stopped by the gym mm. just for five minutes mm. lifted a few weights and then did some rowing machine and that was enough to kind of feel a little bit better so you try to have breaks mm. and go outside I'm a big fan of going outside I think too many of us sure. including myself spend way too much time on computer sometimes in telegram channels where people are fomoing or fighting <laughs> or whatever they're doing. Yeah. interesting yeah, uh, nature is a huge, huge part. And then mm-hmm. also what you mentioned about taking like short periods of healthy things, I think yes. is really important. That's the thing that most people don't get is that they they essentially think like, oh, exercise, I have to do it for an hour long thing. And it's probably this probably exactly. fitness class idea of like you go to a fitness class and a fitness class always lasts an hour. Yes. What I'm learning in my own thing is that it, you can do very, very short periods of high intense exercise, like five to 10 minutes. Yeah. You can feel like a huge dramatic influence. And then also meditation on all these other practices, basically. Just very short periods can lead to like very high gains in terms of well-being and stuff. Like Absolutely. That. Yeah. yeah. So I was a sprinter in high school, which meant um, I could not do long distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, if, if you just go to the gym for five minutes, 15 minutes, you can definitely get a great workout if you just do an all-out sprint, for mm-hmm. example. I don't recommend it for everybody. Please consult with your doctor. But um, yeah, for a lot of people it works. So I have a neighbor who's great. He's a doctor and he figured out on his own that the way to get himself to work out every single day, uh-huh. this is for the last four months, is to limit himself to 15 minutes. Mm. So he goes for, I think he goes for exactly 15 minutes because uh-huh. he's like, why 15 minutes? It's like, well, you always have 15 minutes to work out, especially yeah. when the gym's downstairs. But um, uh-huh. you don't always have half an hour or an hour, an hour and a half, right? Mm. And so if you say, I need an hour and a half to do my full workout, to do the warm up and the stretching and the weights and the cardio mm. and the, the whatever, the body work, the, um, the core training, mm. then you're going to go like once a week. Mm. Then that's not good. Daily habits are great because like brushing your teeth or, or whatever, you do it every day and it just becomes part of your daily routine, mm. right? Everybody gets, a lot of us get coffee in the morning. We make coffee in the morning or go to mm. Starbucks or whatever and it becomes a daily habit. So just add just 15 minutes to your daily habit and mm. I would start there. And that's really- I, I'm, I'm trying to do that myself, but uh-huh. so this is as much for me as for the audience. Everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really yeah. funny because you talked about constraints earlier mm-hmm. and how constraints can make us focus our thinking. Yeah. But then we also put constraints on, I've been, as you were talking about the exercise and stuff like that, uh, we put constraints on like, uh, uh, so for example, most people who sure. practice yoga get this idea in their heads that they can only practice yoga once they have a mat. Uh, that's the only way you can practice yoga. 
But it's yes. ridiculous because then you need a mat all the time. That becomes the only time that you can practice yoga. Right, but right. In reality, you can just practice yoga anywhere. Yeah. Like there's no exactly. There's no need and, for the, and that's why you see these weirdos in San Francisco. Just kidding. Who <laughs> carry around mats all day? It's uh, like, did you just come from yoga class? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's two hours ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's an interesting kind of mm-hmm. thing about constraints because some I think. What do you think is the difference between external constraints, constraint put on us sure. by, for example, starting a company and yeah. then running out of money, and then yeah. those constraints we put on ourselves saying like, oh, I can't do that unless I have this. Yeah, yeah so <clears throat> the external ones are really important because they are reality. Mm-hmm. So you have to accept it. If, if you don't accept that, maybe you don't have as much money in the bank as you mm-hmm. should, and you're you're not living within your means and then you're just spending on credit card or whatever, that's frankly kind of stupid. In terms of internal constraints, uh, it's a great question. I guess I would say, I'm I'm not sure I have something fully formed out on this, but I'll give it a shot. I think internal constraints can be good, but what you don't want to do is, for example, I have a good friend who at one point said, oh, Terrence, um, I'm going to do a startup and I'm going to become homeless. Right? It's like, and live out of cards. Like, why? Why are you doing that? It's like, no, because um, you know, it's all about focus, and I don't need a home, so I'm gonna move out. He was living for free with his parents at the time. I'm gonna move out uh, away from my parents and just kind of do this uh, lean startup thing. I was like, okay, so um, you need to reduce. That's a case where you want to reduce stress, uh-huh. right? Unnecessary yep. stress, yep. and not give yourself stress. You actually don't need to incur because yep. it's a distraction you don't want it that would be like trying to um, start a startup which is a lot like running a marathon except mentally mm-hmm. um, and not starving yourself while doing it mm-hmm. right it's unnecessary so yeah if you don't have a home then maybe mm-hmm. you have to do it but to if you have a home, homeless in order to make right. yourself more lean for a startup is kind of crazy. And yeah. I think a lot of people do yeah. that because they're like, okay, they think, okay, I'm going to start something and it's got to be hard. So I'm going to make it hard in order for it to right. be hard. But it's like the starting the thing is already hard. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and getting traction is hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just starting is hard for a lot of people. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of courage. Finding a good co-founder, especially mm-hmm. one that who's technical, if you're not technical in this market is... Mm-hmm really hard and Mm -hmm. then figuring out the right a big enough market and then having an idea that feels compelling enough that you can at least get people to help you work Mm -hmm. on it yes Mm -hmm. and and investors and then get try to get traction Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. why do you do what you do um i like it and because i feel like i uh paid my (laughs) (laughs) in Uh a way so i can kind of enjoy and just I wouldn't say sit back, but just kind of um, do what I think I'm good at, which is learning about new topics I get excited about and um, helping founders that I think are are worth worth helping, maybe underestimated by the market, but still like really, really good, like really high potential Mm. and um, who I think can get follow on funding. Right. Mm. So that's something I had to change where before I'd be like, oh, well, this person's great and the market's stupid and they'll figure it out. But it, it, if you don't pattern match a little bit, it's mm-hmm. going to be really hard for um, your investments to get follow-on funding, unfortunately, unless they happen to have amazing traction. And it's very hard to get amazing, durable traction mm-hmm. that matters to, to Quickly most. as well, too, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Quickly. And um, I think the key is durably. If it looks like it's sustainable mm-hmm. traction because you're mm-hmm. actually meeting a critical 
unmet need. Mm. If you're meeting a critical unmet need, then you're golden. Mm. But if you're not, then it's super hard. So, and then like, you can have vanity <laughs> metrics, which will give you like yes. short term, like, okay, these people are really into it. I'm paying for marketing and then bringing a whole bunch of people to my app. And Bingo. then there's, yeah. And then, and then that just will disappear once you start doing the, the, the how do you know when you found uh, somebody meeting a critical unmet need? So uh, part of it is they, they talk about it, right? Mm. So I have a founder, um, Payson Lin in Singapore, who started a an app that was um, order ahead, mm. right? So so you pay on your app, or sorry, you order food on your app. Let's say Subway sandwiches, and you show up and you can skip the line. Mm. And it was making money. He was doing great. He got a YC interview, didn't get in, but went very far. And he pivoted. And I was like, why'd you pivot? And he goes, well. There just wasn't enough, the market wasn't big enough, the growth wasn't there, and I want to do something much mm. bigger. He's very ambitious. Mm. So he was telling me about his obsession with customers because he's brought it up multiple times, and he's kind of telling me that, hey, I decided to pivot because X, I, I don't need to say to him, well, you know, if you continue, it's going to be a nice lifestyle business, or the angels will make a nice, you know, whatever, two, three X return, but but you're not gonna get the VC funding because it's just too small. It's mm -hmm. not growing exponentially and it doesn't look like ever, ever well because mm -hmm. you've been at it. So mm -hmm. yeah, so the founders do that a lot. And then um, mm -hmm. you just have to talk to the ones that are able maybe to switch from fundraising mode or recruiting mode to I'm obsessed and mm -hmm. totally focused. I really care about this particular type of customer, this particular type of person or entity that has this particular problem, mm. all I want to do is solve this problem. I know they have this problem. It's a almost a hair on fire problem or a big, big need. Mm. And I'm obsessed with solving it. I don't care if my solution works or Stuart has a better idea or whatever. Mm. I pick one off of Craigslist or the internet or some guy off the street. I don't care. I just want to solve this problem. I don't care who mm. whose idea it is mm -hmm. and yeah. Mm. That's really interesting because it sounds like what you're talking about is people sure. with uh, obsessive traits or maybe even attention uh, difficulties yeah. are the ones who are probably most likely to succeed at these things. And mm -hmm. uh, Yes, so I would say people who are uh, politely persistent and mm -hmm. super, for whatever reason, they are, they care about solving X problem. Maybe it's a problem they have, maybe it's a problem they don't have, but they're just obsessed with mm -hmm. solving it, right? Mm -hmm. So like Peter Thiel, Max Levchin, uh, Elon Musk, when they solved the online payments problem at PayPal, none of them had financial services or banking experience, mm -hmm. but they were obsessed with solving it. And I don't know if they had a lot of empathy for the customer's pain point, but they figured it out, mm -hmm. right? And they had a very good culture where everybody was focused on doing one thing at a time. So uh -huh. an acquaintance friend of mine, Ken Miller, he was head of risk, like he was responsible, for example, like how much fraud there was, like the percent of transactions that had fraud, that was his metric and so forth. So um, I think if you get the right people focused on a problem mm -hmm. that you care enough about and you can evangelize and clarify what everybody's role is, that mm -hmm. can, magical things can happen. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, 
um, you, you brought up an interesting distinction mm-hmm. of, to what I said is that because I was talking about how maybe like ADD or these kind of mental illnesses, what I wanted to get to was essentially sure. that mental illnesses, oh, what, we, oh, right. what, we, okay. what we call mental <laughs> illnesses, no, this is interesting, what we call yeah. mental illnesses uh, 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 by society, what we pathologize these things called ADD and yep. uh, uh, OCD mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. these things saying that they are negative traits, but oftentimes they are the traits that lead to people to external validates validators of success but yes. then you mentioned an important uh, uh piece which is that you also have to you, you 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 those traits are important but if you go too crazy or two things then nobody will take you seriously so there's this interesting line um yeah uh-huh. now i think that's right mm-hmm. so yeah you have to be obsessed be yourself of yeah. course but a lot of the people that do great Stay things realistic. it seems like they're um unusual in a at least one or two either personality or mm-hmm mental wellness factors they might be a little off and that's the that's fine and that's the interesting thing too because most sure. people there's this since the social network the movie came out yep. it's, it's become now popular to do startups and everything like that but yes people who go into startups with this idea oh, i'm going to be uh, successful because i'm going to do a startup i'm going to create a startup instead of starting with that uncritical unmet need and focusing on that and letting yep, everything yep. they they come up with this pre okay in order to be successful i have to do a startup and these people are going to fail and cause themselves a lot of um, difficulties. Often, yeah, yes. yeah. Often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I think one problem with this, so to me, almost everything in life has a positive and a negative to it, or it's a feature or bug, depending on how you look at it. So, one downside to this um, startup froth, I would call it, where things everybody's very profounder. Um, you had Keith mm. Raboy on your show talking about being profounder and his value add wasn't just the money, it was also mentorship. And so all the, all the VCs and angels, and everybody says that, right? And mm. most of us are not very good at it, but um, the point is that it's a very profound environment. So when you have a profound environment, it is possible for the people you talked about who um, are sort of plain startup rather than being obsessed mm. with solving a particular customer or, or user problem, they can go far enough to um, sell their company and be acquired and based on whatever, mm. and maybe there's enough there, branding, IP, whatever, maybe they built enough um, through luck or just right place, right time that they can get a lot of funding. You look mm. at all the scooters getting funded, mm. billions of dollars, these scooter companies, it's a little bit that way. And you can, you know, and Andrew Chen and others, Andrew Chen, who's, who's I guess, a partner at Andreessen, was at Growth at Uber. He and others have talked about how it's because these things are a platform for the last mile and blah, 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 and you got all this data, blah, 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 blah. And it's all true, but it doesn't mean it's worth um, mm. $2 billion or what, whatever it is, right? Mm. So, mm. yeah, things are a little crazy right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> you so can, you, but, you know, if you're smart, you can justify anything. So that's both good and bad, it can kind of lead to this uh, continued froth and bubble where, uh-huh. you know, investors are just desperate to get access to a- the anything right. hot or any good, uh-huh. any potentially great founder. How do you, so you, sure. it sounds like what, what you just said is that there's a lot of no, uh, noise basically entering into the, the, the yes. thing. How do you sure. yourself separate signal from noise? Oh, uh, wow, that's a great question. So I try to do more, get to know founders over time. Mm. I try to look at if I know anybody, Mm. especially myself or people I really trust who really cares about this problem that they're 
allegedly solving or if it's you know if if a founder talks about oh we're not solving a problem we're just building a platform it's like yes but someone needs to have that platform if you're building a platform just so other people can figure out what to mm -hmm. solve on top of it that's not great because maybe they don't want to use your platform maybe they have maybe there are many platforms or, mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. so you start with um yeah i start i look at the market a lot and i look at the um if the mm -hmm. founders politely persistent mm -hmm. over yeah. a period of time after knowing yeah, yeah. over, over a few months yeah. uh, sometimes longer if um, they're like overseas and I've never met them in person uh -huh. if I meet them in person and we have friends in common it's a lot easier so it's a warm intro huh. right but but not always so I do do my own uh, version of what is it pattern matching where so for example I'm, I'm in the deal where um, one of the founders had three successes mm. before and I happened to get early access and be able to invest side by side with some of the top VCs. Mm. Rare for me because I'm small and, and kind of not, not the easiest check. So, um, but that one was kind of like a no brainer and one of the top VCs had already committed. So there was uh -huh. no risk. I, I can't really explain the deal very well, even if I, even if I could, and they're not public yet, but so, yeah. Uh -huh. um, interesting. I happens to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And do you want to check the audio? Uh, no, it's fine. It's I'm okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. we'll. Just, I'll because I've I've now lost the train of thought. So I, oh, I can sorry. Yeah. No, and I'll, I'll go back and I'll I can I'll edit this edit. out basically. Yeah, sure. No, no. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I, I mean no, my no. answer's shorter. <laughs> <Or to laughs> that's the, point. the that's the hard thing about a podcast is that sure you've got to always have the content, but at the same time you've got to uh in, you've got to make it interesting enough and constant basically or yeah, yeah, or yeah. do a lot of post editing um yeah yeah so i'll try to see if it works yeah no, no. uh so we talked about signal and noise what is something you really want to talk about oh um let's see i think one thing is i'm kind of obsessed with twitter right now so i think um how to use twitter and how to run experiments mm -hmm. on twitter mm -hmm. so even if me, they're like kind of this. not scientific experiments okay. to try to get the most out of it for you. Let me yeah. start over here. So, sure. um, so uh, we talked a little bit before we started talking about social yeah. media and how you try to use, how do you try to frame social media as a way to uh, make it productive as opposed to a waste of time? Yes. Um, how do you yeah. use, like, and you told me that you use Twitter a lot and Twitter's the most fun for you. How do you use Twitter in a way that supports your well-being or, or balance? Wow, sure. So um, I think, I would say I use Twitter to support my, um, interest in crypto and my desire to interact with some of the best people in crypto have been in longer people with for example with some of the most commits to bitcoin core like top five or whatever mm -hmm. so it's not that i'm like desperate to interact with them it's more like i want to see what they write and then once in a while if i respond mm -hmm. hopefully they'll respond to that because they think it's a smart enough comment and and timely and relevant that they'll you know, bother to respond because they get bombarded with stuff. So like, for example, um, for Twitter, for me, I tried different things. Um, sometimes Twitter is very different from Quora, which is how you and I met, right? Quora is very much as Yishang Wang, uh, the former CEO of Reddit said, Quora is a little bit like Tokyo where everything's very, mm. everything works. Mm -hmm. Everybody's very polite mm. and there's some pressure to be, polite and get punished if you step out right mm -hmm. and act 
in a way that's not socially conforming. Twitter's, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's very different. Yeah. So when I believe in when in Rome, you got to fit the culture, yeah. right? Because I have tried on Twitter, bringing my great core training where uh -huh. I learned how to be very polite and nuanced and thoughtful. And I would get in these conversations, or I would have conversations where maybe I start a thread. Mm. And then these people who are no coiners and one coiners and they're kind of arguing, they're just talking over me and I'll interject and say something nuanced. And on the one hand, on the other hand, they just ignore me. Mm. So it got frustrating. So it's like, okay, so this obviously, I tried a few times, never worked. Uh -huh. So obviously I need to, but my core side or the polite side of me still comes out sometimes to the point where people say, wow, you ask a lot of really good questions, uh -huh. which, you know, it, not compared to you, but <laughs> I'm, I can be pretty good. But uh, and, and you ask a lot of questions and you, you're so thoughtful and you engage and you ask for evidence and you provide graphs and uh -huh. sources. Like, that's really good, Terrence. <laughs> and you admit when you're wrong, it's like, well, yeah, because it's, it's pretty objectively wrong. Like, why would I keep uh -huh. continuing, right? So, yeah. And, and and how do you use Twitter? Like what you what what do you? Oh, I'm pretty. I, I can be pretty blunt. Okay. Because uh, Twitter is a blunt place, so you, on Twitter, you have to stand out to mm. um, get interaction. Mm. I mm -hmm. think if you're very nuanced, like on the one hand, in my opinion, it's possible. Blah blah. Like you've just used half your tweet talking about nothing, yeah. and people have moved on. So experiment. So. There's no I, place I for say, pleasantries, basically. Sorry? There's no, it's no place for pleasantries. It can be uh -huh. at the right time. So, uh -huh. for example, yesterday, there's this guy, um, I think it's Anthony Popliano, mm -hmm. or Pomp, yeah. on Twitter, who left Twitter uh -huh. for a while yeah. because he sort of got in an argument with somebody. He, he had a great tweet story, in my opinion, about how tokenizing securities was a big potential market and there are a lot more, for example, real estate debt and equity securities mm. than there are um, gold and money. Mm. So that when you look at kind of market cap versus total supply or market cap of gold plus the, the money supplier, the, the value of all the, the cash in the world, um, real estate debt and, and equity is much, much bigger. It's about 560 trillion mm. versus, I don't know, gold and money, maybe a hundred trillion. Mm. So anyway, so he got into these arguments and um, he was saying there's a liquidity premium, meaning you can cause the price, for example, of real estate to go up 20% if everybody could buy a piece of Salesforce Tower, for mm. example, right? Like 10 bucks worth of Salesforce Tower, everybody around the world wants to own a piece of it, it's iconic, blah, blah, blah. Um, he says that the price of real estate would go up based on that. Yeah, because mm. once you make it, once you tokenize the world, quote unquote, and tokenize securities, price would go up. So other people are saying, no, no, it's two to 3%, whatever. And he's like, where's your data? And then finally he started, he kind of used this term, which I'm sure he regrets, Bitcoin terrorist. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, I, Pomp and I don't always agree, but I kind of changed my Twitter uh, profile at Young Ventures <laughs> to Bitcoin terrorist <laughs> as a joke. Uh -huh. Took a screenshot and, uh -huh. and replied with that and uh -huh. he got a good kick out of it. But then other people were like really mad saying uh -huh. like, oh, you're basically saying that gives uh, people a right to kill Bitcoin Maximus because we're terrorists and it's okay to kill terrorists uh, and you're an evil person or whatever. So he quit, right? So uh, um, he experimented and that experiment did not work. I think he'll come back. Mm -hmm. He's very popular on Twitter. He makes, he's a huge value add mm -hmm. and he um, is one of the optimists that 
one of many optimists in crypto that I respect mm. because they bring a bring a side that I don't hear as much among like kind of a lot of my close friends and, mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of in our own echo chamber. So people like Pomp get me out of the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. But that's an example of where um, Twitter can go very badly, mm -hmm. even for someone who has a lot of followers, seems to be pretty tough. I mean, he served the uh, he served in the military, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And in the US military and yeah, so it's, it can be tough. Mm -hmm. But I think and that, I think that's also why only certain personality types um, can Get a enjoy account. Twitter uh -huh. and, yeah. and handle it. Yeah. But yeah, even for the toughest among us, I think it's good to go outside, get some sun, be around people who actually care about you and you can yep. hug and whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because you're not always going to get that on Twitter depending on what stance you take. And right now the market's very moody, or the, sorry, crypto Twitter is very moody because the market's kind of yeah. in this prolonged bear market ever since December 17th, 2017 for Bitcoin and Jan 7, mm -hmm. 2018 for the crypto market generally. It's just been not... And, Very good. Yeah. Uh, so, you talked about how you were in startups before 2000, before mm -hmm. the bubble hit, and now we've kind yeah. of like, and then 2006 happened, and Facebook started to become much more popular, sure. and 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 now we're in a world where it's all mediated by technology. Most of our thoughts throughout the day are mediated through this technology layer yes. um, that didn't exist 20 years ago, and nobody really predicted it. Like, you know, my yeah. dad was investment. Nobody was talking about the social media. I mean, people sure. thought of MySpace as a joke for a long time. Yep. Um, and, and now it's so integral to the way that we think, and most of us are spending eight hours of the, of the day hooked into these this field, this ever-growing yep. field of information. Yep. And um, how has that affected your well-being or just like your thinking or how does it affect your daily life? Sure. So I'm on Twitter a lot, um, but um, I think it's worsened my attention mm. span, mm -hmm. but it's also increased the amount I learned. So here's what I mean. I'm mm. a big believer in tweet storms. Um, you can summarize a bug and to the point where the author of the book will actually retweet your tweet storm. Mm. Like this guy who wrote uh, Seyfedean, or what, I can't pronounce his name, but he wrote the Bitcoin Standard, which is a very popular among Bitcoin maximalists. Mm. And, uh, and Bitcoin maximalists are just people who really, really, really believe in Bitcoin and they don't like any of the other coins, Ethereum, blah, 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 they're all bullshit, whatever. So, <clears throat> tweet storms are the new blog. Mm. And I think it was Ben Thompson, Stratechery, Stratechery. Uh, th that um, email newsletter, he talked about how blogs are the new books. Mm. People want, for example, Netflix series mm -hmm. where they can binge or just watch one show and get something out of it and mm -hmm. stop after 30 minutes. They don't want to watch movies. Movies can be a waste mm. of time because mm. you, you know you spend the time to at least agree, at least in my case with my spouse, to pick this movie and watch it. Mm. Might be free because it's already included on Netflix or whatever, it doesn't matter. But you kind of make this emotional time commitment to set aside two hours to watch a movie and then mm. 20 minutes in, it's slow movie, it's uh -huh. boring, it's like, what's the point? Uh -huh. You could have done this in uh -huh. one hour, not two hours, or maybe 20 minutes, right? So uh -huh. the great thing about Netflix series is you can binge watch, they're short, the, the good ones, uh -huh. whether it's and HBO too, whether it's Silicon Valley, uh, Black Mirror, Game of Thrones, whatever, they, they are intact in and of themselves. You obviously get more out of it if you read it 
and, mm-hmm. and remember it all at once or watch it all at once. And that's the same with tweet storms. Each tweet, tweet in tweet storm should stand alone such that you might want to retweet it or save it if it's good enough. But when you read the whole tweet storm, you can get even more mm-hmm. out of it. And also when you're creating, right, you can start with one tweet and stop there, but you have the flexibility to just keep going. Mm-hmm. And at least when I do my mini tweet storms or tweet storms, which is rare, but I don't really know exactly when I'm going to stop, mm. but I can stop anytime. But that's the same for the reader too. So you have this extra flexibility. Mm. And I think it's great because Twitter, by having this now 288 character limit um, per tweet, you are forced to be concise mm-hmm. and not BS around. You can still be polite, right? Uh, so yeah. I spend more time probably than most trying to fit things within one or two tweets and then I try to, if I have time, try to make it more polite and uh-huh. say, yes, I agree and uh-huh. blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? And then I'll... And that's something that most yeah. people have difficulty with is being concise. Uh, yes. And, 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 so I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and so Twitter has trained me to be more precise because at first I didn't get it. Like yes. over the first four years, I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. I can't fit that much information into those three yeah. lines. Yeah. And now it's like trained me. Now I can become very like, oh, okay, I can quickly explain what I'm what I'm trying to think yeah um, which is I think a very good skill yes. so it sounds like what you're saying is that, I love it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like what uh-huh. you're saying is that the that technology is giving all of us a shorter term uh, attention span but yeah. that might not necessarily be a bad thing um, correct uh, because maybe it's just a changing set of conditions and that we're adapting to a changing set of conditions which is this field of technology which yes. is now changing the, the only constant is change, and mm. you have to adapt. And we don't know if evolutionarily, right, mm. 2 million years ago, 5 million years ago, 100,000 years ago, whatever, mm. at some point in our evolutionary past, maybe we had short attention spans because we were always at risk of threats, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before we formed tribes where we had leaders and so forth, maybe if it was, if we were lone wolves, mm. for example, maybe we had to fend for ourselves and then once in a while we'll mm. maybe transactionally fit in a pack, mm. like a wolf pack, but mm. we, we don't know. So um, in the past, maybe surviving one day mm. was a big success. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, oh, another birthday, who cares? <laughs> I used to make fun of my friends and be like, happy birthday, good job. <laughs> and yeah. finally, one of my friends, because very sarcastic, yeah. I worked on Wall Street. So <laughs> one of my friends who was a proprietary trader from Wall Street, he replied, actually, considering the alternative, it is a good job. Yeah. <laughs> Pats himself on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Twitter to me is like the trading floor where I worked on Wall Street where you have to be super concise. It's not a lot of BS. You do get things wrong uh-huh. because everything's moving so fast. Yeah. But the whole point of like deals on the trade, doing trades on the trading floor is everything happens very fast. You're right most of the time. If you need a meeting, like we would literally have like the trader, the risk manager, myself, like the executions person, and maybe the salesperson and structure stand around mm. someone's desk. Could mm. be mine, could be the product managers, could be the traders, and we just hash it out. Sometimes in five minutes, just instantaneous. As opposed to when we did joint venture deals with investment banking, where mm. we, you know, we have to go up to their offices on the forty-fifth floor be all these pastries and wonderful snacks and the cars will start late, the com- you know, because they have like five law firms on the call and 15 bankers yep. and there'd be two of us from the trading floor. And at the end of these ridiculous two hour meetings, 
I'd say to my coworker, so I have three takeaways. How many do you have? They're like, yeah, we could have done that in 12 oh, minutes. Interesting. If yeah. we were, you know, if we didn't have all these extra. And that's what Twitter um, gives you. It's basically you Twitter can find force, that information. Yeah. So again, constraints yeah. as a as a benefit. Look, mm-hmm. look at um, every limit as external limit mm-hmm. as a benefit if you can. You don't have to engage with it, right? So Twitter's not for everybody. Back mm-hmm. when I used to love Cora more, it, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Twitter's a, mm-hmm. terrible. Yep. It's like a cesspool. Interesting. But you, if if you have the right mentality, yeah. as we learned from yeah. Upside of Stress, um, then you can get a lot of um, benefit out of Twitter. It's the most, it's the densest, most concise way to get a lot of information, mm-hmm. engage with at least for crypto Twitter, some of the top top people in the mm-hmm. field. Not everybody who's top is on Twitter mm-hmm. very much, right? Mm-hmm. There's some um, mm-hmm. like super Bitcoin core developers with like thousands of commits, like more than anybody else. They're they're almost never on Twitter, mm-hmm. but you can still get some of their peers and like just top top people, the best minds in crypto. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And that's yeah, it's amazing. That's the, that's the interesting thing that I think the internet has done recently that I've been reflecting on is that the difference between me right now and me sure. 10 years ago in terms of my education, my own personal education of like, I'm interested and curious about the world yeah. and I can go on the internet and I can go on Quora. I can go on Twitter. I'm now yes. asking questions on Quora about biomechanics, all this random wow. stuff so that uh-huh. I can actually like just find out answers to my questions. And very rarely do we actually have a question and then get a very clear answer. Okay. That's the answer to the question. But I think the importance is asking the question to open up and find these things. Yes, and, and like the internet yeah. allows me to do that all with very little friction. Um, yes, which is really cool. Yeah. So I'm finding, I feel like I'm learning so much um, just from having this internet. But at the same time, I feel like my attention is being dragged in like hundreds of different ways. And my like, I'm I have this kind of almost uh, uh, addictive. I don't want to say addictive, but just like habitual pattern of like checking, okay, uh, notifications and all this different stuff. So it's this really weird thing, and yeah. I think everybody is going through. I don't think it's something that it's particular sure. to me. Um, and it feels somewhat like we're entering a new kind of step in human evolution uh, based on technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, there, so um, one way I deal with that, no, you're absolutely right. We're, we're all guilty of this. None of us are getting enough sleep. We're all checking our phones too much and on social media too much, our social media of choice. Mm. So I do that in a couple ways. One is I'm very bad at remembering passwords, which mm. is a <laughs> bug, but I turn it into a feature, here's how. <laughs> So I could I can't remember my password to Facebook, and I have to like do these stupid things, which only people who are um, bad at remembering passwords and have horrible opsec to the point where like horrible opsec as in like I can't get into my Facebook without <laughs> having to send Facebook a picture of myself holding uh-huh. a number that they give me <laughs> right randomly generated number. That's what they had to, to do. Say, I had to do it or send them government issued ID, and uh-huh. I, I figured they already have that, so I don't, I don't need to give them more. Uh, government issued IDs <laughs> or pictures of that. So no, I, I'm not comfortable giving that to them or, uh, or anybody else, frankly. Yeah. So um, I would do that and then I'd get into Facebook for like an hour and then for whatever reason, maybe my Google Chrome setup or whatever, I would get locked out of Facebook again and uh-huh. and then I just don't bother going back in. But Messenger <laughs> works. And there is actually a way on Facebook Messenger, at least on the Android version, where depending on whoever is messaged you, if they unfriended you because they unfriended everybody on Facebook or left Facebook for a while, or it's just like if some stranger sending you a message, that is a way for me to get into Facebook like once in a while. But mm-hmm. it's actually 
good because I don't want to be on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I just want to focus on Twitter in terms of social media and then everything mm. outside, like emails, meetings, whatever I'm doing, um, keeping my wife happy and so mm. forth. So um, I think it's important to, one idea mm. is if you want to maximize utility and your psychic benefits, but also more importantly, learning, is to limit yourself to one social media at a time. Mm. Um, just because, you know, it, otherwise you'll be constantly distracted. I also turn off all notifications. I also have a phone that um, is constantly running out of battery, so mm. it's actually good because it makes me check <laughs> media less, especially at night if I have to charge uh-huh. my phone yeah. usually, but yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you can do things like, as extreme as put your phone in another room when you're sleeping or you don't want to be distracted or in the refrigerator, whatever, right? Lock it up in a home safe or whatever. Sometimes I will go out and I don't carry my phone mm. if I'm having a meal with my wife or working out or whatever, right? And mm. so, like, I'm not listening to any podcasts, but I also can't check my Twitter or e- emails or messages. So that can help, too. Like, t- today I went to get coffee for my wife and me, we happen to have free coffee in our building. And, um, and I'm very frugal, so I like to get the free coffee, and it's a ritual. And, and she likes it when I get it get it for, for her, her. So, so it's a nice way to start our day. Uh-huh. Uh, so I get the coffee for her, and this time I brought out a printout. Uh-huh. It happened to be the Amazon reviews uh-huh. for Upside of Stress, uh-huh. and start reading it. And, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, so you actually print out things that you want to read? Sometimes. Oh, okay, yeah. Sometimes, uh-huh. yeah. The reason I printed that out was because I happened to be in our business center, because my wife we had worked out and then my wife um, unannounced as goes to the business center so I follow her mm. fine mm-hmm. and it was like at the business center she's on the computer printing out stuff I was like oh yeah maybe I should print out some stuff too so that uh-huh. kind of because I was looking at Amazon reviews for Upside of Stress like oh yeah I should buy this book but maybe I'll cheat because <laughs> read the reviews um, and I'll just read the reviews and, uh-huh. get, and there was happened to be a fantastic summary who's uh-huh. like and, and this is this is the upside of attention deficit disorder and social media this review said oh this book should be three and a half chapters mm-hmm. not five it's too long like most books and had a great summary and it's like this is the part that's prescriptive this is the part that's descriptive mm-hmm. and then i read some i like to read the critical reviews because i'm you know by nature kind of skeptical but i want to see if like what is the worst substantive review someone can come mm-hmm. up with right mm-hmm. so then I read one where it's talked about, oh, yeah, so I saw this research you cited, and it's not really well fun on it, but she has a good bibliography. But then I looked at the research, and she's kind of quoting things out of context, and uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, whoa, I need to read this review a lot more. Like, maybe I don't need uh-huh. to read the, the book. book yeah. and uh-huh. like, So the book it. is benef- beneficial, uh-huh. but I think I actually, based on the reviews, might read her willpower book. Uh, interesting. That might be even better. So uh, I don't like to disagree with mm. Keith Raboy. That's an expensive thing to do. I lost a thousand bucks betting with him that because uh, he had said, "Oh yeah, Hillary's not going to become president." I was like she's actually favored to win. This was back in I think twenty fifteen. Uh-huh. He goes, "I'll give anyone three to one odds." So I said, being a lawyer, former lawyer, I said, "Just to be clear." Uh-huh. If I bet a thousand dollars, you're gonna give me three thousand dollars if Hillary's president. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I give you a thousand dollars. Like, yep, it's like done. Uh-huh. You're done. Well, how was this so, bet made? Was it on Twitter? Just or? on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I lost. So I had to pay him. <laughs> oh, interesting. But yeah, he made a lot of money from a lot of people. He's usually right, so it's very dangerous to bet against uh-huh. Keith Raboy. But uh-huh. I think in this case, upside is stress. Look, it's great buck, and you guys should watch the 
YouTube video, the other hack I have for people, a lot of people I know can't read books. Mm. My friend um, interviews high school students for Brown, mm. and she's like, what's the number one problem mm. that you high school students who got as far as getting an interview to Brown, one of the top schools in the world, what's the number one problem you guys have as teenagers? And he goes, the phone. It's like, tell me more. Mm. It's like, well, we just can't um, mm. stop looking at it. Mm. We're always checking it and we can't read books. We have no mm -hmm. attention span. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for everybody who's like those high school students who got interviews at Brown and pretty much the whole rest of the world um, who's online, uh -huh. highly recommend you print, uh, you read Amazon reviews and also download free samples, uh -huh. right? Because yeah. if you like the free sample so much, because the free sample of the book uh -huh. or audio that you read or listen to for 10 minutes, if that's not engaging for you, mm -hmm. you shouldn't buy the book. Yep. But if that book, because they're going to show you the best parts, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least the beginning, which should be the most interesting, funnest parts. And, and that's how, and you can look for tweet summaries or review, other reviews mm -hmm. online, New mm -hmm. York Times, oh, sorry, New York Review of Books or whatever. So um, those are some hacks I have to save time, mm -hmm. right? Because we're reading less and less and there's a lot of people who talk about how much, but how much, how many books they read they mm. don't necessarily seem all that successful to me mm. and they the more important thing is they can't articulate to me a compelling short message in a conversation uh -huh. about why that book was so great they uh -huh. just say oh it's amazing you have to read it it's like yeah. okay because uh -huh. why and why do i care like i have uh -huh. a lot of things i could do with my time uh -huh. right there are like 500 books i sh should be reading yeah. and haven't yet and that's a really interesting more. point. Yeah. Uh, and what you said about, sure. I, 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 as, I, as you were talking, I, I was thinking that basically when, so I interviewed Erboy and I have, yeah. different, I have different, I still have different views on work-life balance, but it was sure. really interesting to hear. He, what people like him do are essentially, they, they have a very solid position saying, this is where I think. And yeah. basically I like to engage with that position so that I can then solidify my own thinking basically yeah. and that whole conversation and reading the book has given me some really powerful tools for my that work for me i still in no way want to basically design my life so that i'm constantly working unless i find something that i become so obsessed with that that brings me joy right um but i've learned some really important things the most important thing was that basically um uh, viewing any stressful situation as a challenge, not a threat, um, basically taps into our sympathetic nervous system in a way that uh, helps us expand uh, as opposed to contract. Because if you view something as a threat, physiologically, you're probably going to go like this. You're probably going to uh, forward fold, kind of protect your belly and, and protect yourself from an oncoming threat. But if yeah. you view it as a challenge, you're like, okay, I have the tools that, that are necessary to do this and I, yes. will, I, I, can, I can succeed. Um, and yeah. in the past couple of weeks, so, that's mm -hmm. changed my whole view on kind of the way of my life. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Uh -huh. um, look at stress as much as you can as a challenge and not something else. And when you're not doing that, you, you know, when you're mm -hmm. all of us have uh, ups and downs, and I think we should yep. just be open mm -hmm. about it yep. and admit it to ourselves, and find people who actually care, uh -huh. even if you have to pay a therapist, which is fine, right? Because they're professionally trained. Most of us are not trained to be professional therapists for our friends who have the same, seem to have the same complaints all the time. It's can be mm. frustrating mm. when someone you care about can't get out of a funk or is mm. constantly depressed or not mm. living up to their potential. And you just have to do things that um, are kind of proven to try or try things that are proven to to work 
like take walks in the, in the woods or whatever or get some sun mm-hmm. or um, maybe just need a cup of coffee and mm. get conversation with call up an old friend mm. right I think James, James Altucher who I'm not a big fan of but mm. he does that every morning he, I think he calls one one old friend and to stay in touch and start his day right mm. um, but yeah you just have to try what works for you mm-hmm. and keep doing it that, that's why yes because I think um, so, so one way I think people can do a better job, all of us can do a better job, including myself, at dealing with stress is to do the same thing that is stressful mm-hmm. to you. So if it's stressful for you to whatever, do public speaking, mm-hmm. if you keep doing it mm-hmm. and don't worry about, just, I'm going to get good at public stuff. speaking, I'm just going to talk to everybody and just, or whatever, social interaction, talk to people at parties or events or whatever and make an effort and practice and, and read and then self-assess mm. then you can get really good at it but most people should probably focus on one thing at a time at least in one category of mm. their world so maybe i mm. focus on this thing to improve my sleep mm. i'm going to go to sleep at the same time every day i'm going to turn off the phone and mm. whatever leave it in my car or whatever Mm. Right, so you don't look at it in the middle of the night or focus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so mm. and, and then and then so that's your sleep hack, and then you focus on an exercise hack. I'm going to work out for 15 minutes a day, whatever, or and then yeah, mm. just have mm. one at most one kind of thing you're changing mm. um, at a time because mm. otherwise I think it's too much. And it's been kind of proven, for example, in learning that or been shown the evidence suggests. Okay, so mm. after all this uh, kind of yeah, uh, the evidence suggests that. If you um, teach something you learn right away, you actually learn more than the person you're teaching. Mm-hmm. So I am being self-interested. I don't want to say selfish, but I kind of am selfish. It's win-win, but yeah. it's more win for the teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's astounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have all these teachers, former teachers that are very... I mean, I, I'm biased because my both my parents are... Uh, were, were teachers. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom was not a professor. She's okay. an elementary school teacher. My dad was a professor. They're both. Uh, my mom passed, and my dad retired. But anyway, so you have all these teachers that have done extremely well in life. Mm-hmm. Whether you look at Jack Ma or Barack Obama mm-hmm. or uh, Elizabeth Warren and many many others, were mm-hmm. former teachers, partly because they get so good mm-hmm. at communicating, at keeping the attention of these kids mm-hmm. or college students who are bored, have to be there, just there to get a degree, whatever, hungover, so <laughs> they, yeah, right, playing, t- spending too much time on Snapchat, Instagram, yeah. YouTube, huh. then you get really good uh, at being somewhat watch. compelling and that loving the sound of your own voice, you become very mm. convinced of your own kind of greatness and mm. whatever, right? So mm. it just seems to work. Mm. So I, I don't know if there's a pattern there, but someone needs to do some some research but mm. this has been so interesting thank you so much for coming on the show Terry. yeah sure yeah. thanks sir. <laughs>